Welcome to the Nerve to Lead podcast. Here we explore power, pleasure, leadership, identity, belonging, parenting and couplehood and explore stories of navigating through life, finding both authenticity and attachment through the common lens of the nervous system. I am your host Sangeeta Bhattacharyati and I'm so glad you're here. Today I have Kimberly Ann Johnson with me. Kimberly is a sexological body worker. She was a doula and uh she I just love her work. Thank you so much for joining us today Kimberly. Thank you so much for having me. Um so I'll start off with like an entrepreneurial question and then maybe we can okay. jump a bit more into the work. Um I am a former doula, I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner, feminist and your work just resonates with me at so many different levels. So I'll start off with this. I think when I look at you and I've been following your work for a really long time and um I think it's just beautiful what you've created. I mean if you were to look at it as a business niche or you know use terms like that but i really see your work as sitting at in the intersection of activism slash therapy slash thought leadership slash mm. coaching um you know and and i don't know it's just beautiful what you've created and it feels like you've really forged a path for yourself that feels authentic but also playing within well well within the system but also managing to stay authentic so tell us about this the journey like from as a business owner as an entrepreneur hmm well thank you for that reflection that's a beautiful reflection uh i definitely i did grow up in a family of entrepreneurs so i i did have some exposure to entrepreneurial thinking but i my origins are in yoga and i really thought of that as my calling i never set out to be a yoga teacher i just loved practicing and the way to practice more was to do trainings so i felt really then people started asking me to teach them back in the days when there weren't there wasn't yoga everywhere in the us and so it was really when i became a mother that i had to get real about making it a career and that was very challenging for me because it was my spiritual path it was my devotion and it felt somewhat like i was i don't know either selling out or sullying the power of what it is to make it a business but once i became a single mother it was either make this into a business or make another business and as you probably know my first book uh is really about the experience that i had becoming a mother and the experience that i wish that all women could have as they become mothers and i've come to really love certain aspects of business that i resisted a lot which is selling basically marketing and selling because i just use them as teaching opportunities and i love to write so i like to create narratives with photos and writing and uh really kind of democratize specialized information and then i've had a lot of fun with as the 
kind of numbers have grown, not only financially, but the people that I'm reaching and teaching, it's been really, really wonderful to be able to crowdfund for different causes that I really believe in. And so my community uh, raised $85,000 for a Black-owned birth center in San Diego, raised money for a Black single mother in Sweden to go to art school, um, for a beloved birth member, a birth worker in our community um, for her postpartum period. So uh, I was very reluctant to enter quote unquote capitalism and be a part of the system, but uh, becoming a mom basically forced me into <laughs> either I was going to have to just be a reclu recluse in the forest, which was going to be a hard road for someone who grew up in the suburbs, uh, or I was going to have to learn how to make it work. And so I have made it work. And of course, there's a lot of bumps along the road right now. My business is a lot of it is online and I get tired of being in front of a computer and especially as someone who had a hands-on bodywork practice for a long time. Uh, I'm craving more in-person experiences. And so now that's what I'm creating more with my work. Thank you so much for that. I think this piece about the capitalism and the, and the structures that you talk about totally resonates with me as well. I used to be a strategy consultant and then I had two planned home births uh, while I was in the UK. And as it does, you know, uh, one of it was a planned home transfer. And then the other, my younger one was born at home. And then it was a real reckoning of sorts for me and um, really forces you to reckon with the feminine and parts of yourself that you have had to minimize to be in a very masculine driven workplace. And I've, I've been through my own I think journey with, you know, as you do, you pendulate and then, you know, finding what works for you. But um, especially in your work and in this community, I think you talk about it a lot, of, you know, about um, this dichotomy between, you know, like money is bad and, you know, hospital births, you know, it's very polarized in these times. And that's why I think I love your voice. I think there are a lot of very polarizing voices in the times that we live in um how how did you tell us about that a little bit if you can oh boy uh yeah it is a very weird time that we're living in where uh we have less contact with people probably than we ever have uh where a lot of things are depersonalized, so we can behave in ways online that we would never behave in person. Uh, I think we're we're losing stamina actually for being in person. A lot of therapists I know are like, "Well, I don't want to be in person anymore. It's it's easier for me to be online." So there's a lot of default to distance and to something that, on some level of our system, registers as connection, but on another, actually doesn't satisfy it at all. Uh, it's a it's a quandary of our time essentially focus you know a lot of people come to me because they want to have better sex and they imagine that that means wanting things that they don't want or learning how to want them or uh, all kinds of configurations but essentially like first it's just can we be present and can we focus and that we weren't so far away from that um five or 10 years ago. Now, uh, everything is 
challenging us to maintain a sense of connection to ourselves and to to physical material reality there's a lot of uh rhetoric out there that's encouraging more connection to our morals and our ideologies than to our physical reality so i sometimes have a feeling that i'm going to be left back on a branch of homo sapiens and that there's sort of like a new emergence that's much more um, neofrontal cortex, virtual, artificial intelligence, don't need contact, robots are fine. Uh, and I'm kind of digging my heels in over there, over here, because, you know, when it comes to birth, for instance, like we can have ideas that are not moral, that are physiological, that Yes, it does matter how babies are born. Yes, it does matter where they're born. Uh, that can be very confusing for a lot of women because they've been told it doesn't matter, you know, a cesarean birth is a birth, you know, but what we know from trauma and physiology is that the body registers that as invasion. So it doesn't matter what we think about it. The body itself is going to be what chooses. And you know, I have a big investment in this because I have a 15-year-old daughter. So the other day I had my first thought that I recall having that I'm glad I won't live long enough to see the outcomes of some of the things that are happening right now. And then the next thought was, but this is the world I'm leaving for my daughter. So um, I have to remain engaged and listening. You know, I listen a lot, but I also have to I have to remain true to what I know not just in my own body but from working with thousands and thousands and thousands of women and it literally is that many now you know I did 800 sessions in three years in person specifically with birth trauma sexual trauma and gynecological surgeries and now I've been teaching online and I've I think there's like over 12,000 students that have been through the classes and so it's I just I know how our ideas cannot override the safety of our body and not safety from these politically correct ways of observing it. In fact, the political correctness oftentimes allows us to override what our present moment perception is because we don't want to feel the thing that we're feeling, but we are feeling it. And then we externalize it rather than recognizing what's origin originating from inside of us. And now, a small break to talk about more resources. We've created an autonomic intimacy checklist for couples, which gives you a framework to understand nervous system to nervous system safety with your partner. It's free to download and use. It is available as a link on the episode show notes. And now back to our conversation. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for I, I can resonate with so much of it, having daughters and really reckoning with what is this world that I'm raising them in and, you know, all these connotations about what you said about the, uh, you know, very neofrontal cortex, AI, not much. And then I'm also wondering, yes, I mean, that's probably for adults, but also 
as you know, you know, for children and infants, you know, the whole attachment piece and the touch and the movement and the early attunement and how that sets our whole nervous system up. And, you know, it's fascinating, um, you know, to, to sort of, and a bit scary, <laughs> to reckon with the impact of that, you know. Um, but um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, your work specifically. I think um, what fascinates me is uh, when you talk about sex and, and the prerogative to have sex that changes the world, you also talk about motherhood and the, how we've lost that sensuality as the mother. Your latest audiobook, Reclaiming the Feminine, um, is just wonderful. You talk about feminist sex and, and you know I know that it's a large part of your practice but also that we can't actually separate birth from sex from you know medical trauma you know and all of those are so interrelated um, a little bit of a perspective of where uh, you know giving a context to this question is I grew up in India and uh, you know, we are known as the land of the Kama Sutra, but uh, the India that I grew up in um, had this dichotomy between the mind and the body. And there was a, a, an extraordinary preoccupation with um, saying that the soul and the mind are superior to the body. And there, there is a lot of context around this duality and what it means in real life. Uh, including gender discrimination, including menstrual segregation, including, you know, wounded masculine leaders who then become charlatans and, you know, fake spiritual leaders causing a lot of trauma for people around them. And I, I think about that as power and, you know, looking at feminine, the feminine, you know, um, yet there is a lot of divine feminine representations on the one hand, and then there is the reality of what that culture is in real life. Um, so this is where I think I, I really want to talk about your work, it's situating it in that context of reclaiming the feminine. Um, t tell us about that. And, and I know that you, you also have a background in yoga and you know you have some experiences of living here uh, also. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of opinions and experiences. I've lived in India at different times. So I was there um, the last time I was there was a long time ago, it was in 2003 and I was there for six months. Uh, and my, I would say like my spiritual upbringing is really in Advaita Vedanta and non-dual awareness and like the ways that that shapes itself inside of practice between mind and body is sort of worldwide, right? Like this it's every major religion has this separation that spirit is something that's out there and that's good inherently and that the body is something that's inherently dirty and inherently like a burden and like the thing that's weighing you down and then there's some contemporary interpretations and in tantra not neo tantra but like original tantra that consciousness is everywhere so nothing can be a hierarchy that it's all just as good but we know that in practice, that's not the way that it's internalized. And this, and there's a lot of warnings about every, you know, purity and like, in general, I would say worldwide, it, there's a feeling that the more sexual you are, the less spiritual you are. And the more exactly spiritual you that. are, less Oh my God, yes. 
you hit that's it right like that is it you know growing up it's always that sex and sexual thoughts get in the way of reaching god and and that's it you know and therefore and then also that the female body itself is um temptation whereas the male mind can be driven towards you know that dichotomy and then also the womb and the periods and the taboo around it and being excluded from religious um um rituals when you're menstruating and all of that uh, you know um sin you know around that taboo around that you know um that's it i mean i think that's the thing right like you internalize this thing that in order for me to reach higher levels of consciousness uh i one has to somehow eschew the mortal especially the reproductive urges in both men and women but specifically women because they have a womb uh and well, need so and give birth just just desire overall right that any kind of desire is somehow dangerous and then we see what happens when that's repressed so the the imagination that we would somehow overcome those and that they're inherently distracting then for women they had to flip a switch where all of a sudden it's like their whole life they wanted to get married and then they get married and then all of a sudden they're supposed to go from being really proper and reserved and covered to all of a sudden be available and that's not how our bodies work right and so there's all these things coupled with nudity because nudity yes. is also something that you only share in certain contexts right even touch like you're not really supposed to touch beforehand so this might be the first time you've come into contact with male genitals at all it might oh, be oh my god yes yeah a naked body and then on the other hand because porn is so prolific the males have seen all kinds of things and their <laughs> expectation is based on all of these kinds of visuals and imagination of what a woman might want which is really usually not what women want at all because porn is made for male arousal trajectories and male desire so there's a lot of education on both sides uh, that i somehow i always ended up in these conversations with girls and women trying to help them understand they they were basically like you know always in some kind of argument with their husband because their husband always wanted more sex and they were always feeling uncomfortable and avoiding and i was trying to help under i was trying to understand what what they were avoiding and then i realized oh it's because this is like a race to penetration and there's very little touching kissing contact and so it's usually painful and so once it's painful then you're trying to avoid what's painful and there's just so much um misunderstanding and then of course the body is recoiling because it doesn't want to be open or available to something that's not pleasurable and not about them and there's like a lot of dissociation happening and a lot of confusion and not very many places to talk about it you know i don't want to come off as like this white woman who who thinks like oh poor indian women and india made me who i am and i learned so much about everything through all of my time there and the dynamics i'm describing are certainly present in other countries in the world including my own country and it's just that we also can't 
abstract everything because there is a certain cultural heritage and lineage and you know 100 percent the way that i was susceptible to being i don't like these words abused and all of these now because they've they're just overused and they're used in place for being more specific and talking about what happened but i got in a very complicated relationship with a guru who is only my guru, like he's not famous, he doesn't have a bunch of other students. Um, because of going so deep into non-dual awareness, basically believing that the mind is better than the body, music is better than dance, speaking is like ev anything that's less associated with the body is better. Then yeah. when he wanted to be sexual, it was like, and I said, well, I don't want to, is like, well, why aren't you, where is your universal love? Like what, like how come you're not devoted because you also won't, like your body is just a projection of the cosmic mind. So why do you want ownership over it? And in this kind of hierarchy where the body is lower, it does make us susceptible to being willing to do things or imagining that this, because there's also this idea, you know, from the Gita that like the body is just this suit and we're going to discard it, but the soul yes, will live on, right? That doesn't allow us to say my body's my own in this lifetime and I will do yes. with it what I want. And for me, I, a huge piece of that came when I understood the difference between a spirit and a soul. And I didn't really come across that much in my philosophy studies, but maybe just hearing it in a Western way I could get it was that like spirit is the thing that is untouched and that's universal and that lives in all of us but our soul is our individual const constellation of what that spirit is and our soul can definitely have desires and preferences and direction just like each of us have a swadharma like it's our soul is that's part of it uh so there's a lot, there's a lot there. And it's interesting to think because of course, in the West, we idealize a lot of cultures in the East, including Indian culture. And where I was introduced to the sacred window was in India. The first time I ever felt what it felt like to have an intact mother baby relationship postpartum was in India, where a woman was at her mom's house and being completely taken care of. And she was just in basically, there was like a golden aura to it while everyone was serving her. Uh, but I know that that's not always the whole story. You know, not number one, it always doesn't, doesn't always happen, but also that there's a larger context. And a lot of it comes through modernism and globalism and the importation of um, believing that other cultures know how to do it better, believing that medicalizing things is safer and uh yeah it's internalized colonialism you know the white first notions that yeah. you know because we were colonized for so long i mean you see that internalized in so many ways and i'm not you know i'm, I'm saying i'm talking about myself as well it's been a big journey to decolonize the mind and decolonize the practice decolonize somatics you know in terms of what i'm offering and what i was taught there is still this huge cultural element about safety and um, belonging and boundaries and you know where the individual ends and what what belonging is and what othering is is very very different I think um, so it might be very tempting to slap labels on it also I think 
um, a lot of the what we call resources and green and ventral states that come from um, cultural um, practices. It, it's it's really complex to decouple that from you know that that collective you know trauma layer. And this concludes the first part of my conversation with Kimberly. See you on the next episode where we talk more about sex, spirituality, embodiment, and entrepreneurship. Thank you for joining me today on Nerve to Lead podcast. The music you hear in this podcast was created by Soundcreed. You can find their link in the description. Thank you to Vaishnavi and Pavitra in Team Sangpar for producing and editing this podcast. Did this episode resonate with you? If it did, please share it with your friends, family, co-workers or clients. We would also love to hear from you. Drop us a note on www.sangpar.com.